0: Our Scripture reading for this morning, once again, comes from Genesis chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. First we'll read Genesis chapter 3, the first six verses. Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And turning to Matthew chapter 4, we'll read the first 11 verses. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. This far, the reading of God's holy word. Congregation, why did did Satan show the Lord Jesus all the kingdoms of the world? Imagine if that was you, if someone took you to a place where you could see maybe... Buckingham Palace, or the Kremlin, or the White House. And he shows you all these, these kingdoms of the world. And he takes you through some of the large cities, maybe New York, or London, or Tokyo, or Dubai, with all its riches and architecture. And, and he shows you all these cities. And he says, you can have it all. You can have all this beauty, all this glory, all these cities. You want an airplane? You can have all the airports. How, how does that pull at your heart? What, what is it in this world that you want? James says, where do wars and fighting come from? Why is it that Russia and Ukraine are fighting? Why is it that Hitler was fighting Napoleon, the Spanish Empire, the Roman Empire? Isn't it because they all want a little more of the power, the glory, the possessions of this world? James also said, these wars and fights, they come from your desires for pleasure, your desire to have a little more to get pleasure from what you can get. In Genesis verse 6 it says so when the woman saw the tree that it was good for food that it was pleasant to the eyes and desirable to make one wise she took and she ate. Now, temptation always seeks to draw our desires away from God and towards the object in this creation. And the eye is that gateway. The eye is like the connection between the desires of our hearts and the objects that we desire, that we crave after. The eye is what we see, stirs up our desires to want to have the things that we see. And this is the second part of the temptation here in this verse as we see it, how how Eve was led to take of the fruit of the forbidden tree and it's the desire for material possessions. It's it's the desire for the physical beauty that Eve saw was pleasant to the eyes. John calls it the lust of the eyes. And so as we continue our series, looking at the first temptation to sin. This is the fourth part, and it is desire, the, the desire of the eye. So, first we can ask, well, what is that? What is that desire of the eye? Is it, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food that was pleasant to the eyes, is it wrong to look at beautiful things? Was it wrong for Eve to to look at this tree? No. Because in Genesis 2, verse 8 to 9, it says, The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. God created all the trees pleasant to the sight. He created that beauty to be admired and enjoyed. And I am always struck by the beauty of trees. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in a mountain surrounded by trees in the forest. You can be in the prairies where I grew up and see one tree in the middle of a prairie and it has this beauty, this majesty to it. Or you can be in a city. It doesn't matter if you're in a slum. There's beautiful trees. Or you can be in the, in the richest place of the city, the most elegant buildings around it, but what, what I find always the most beautiful is the trees that stand in front of it. The natural beauty that God has given. They're pleasant to the sight. We were created to see that beauty. But what is it then? Notice in Genesis 2 verse 9, it says, that, that it's pleasant to the sight. Whereas in Genesis 3, verse 6, it says pleasant to the eyes. There's a different focus. God created everything to be pleasant to the sight, but for what purpose? On Revelation 4, verse 11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things. By Your will they exist And were created. God created all things so that he could receive the glory. So that he could be honored and praised through it. And God reveals himself even today through his creation. Of who he is and what he has done. So that we will glorify him. Now that word that is translated as pleasant in Genesis 3 verse 6. It says pleasant to the eyes It's the same English word as used in Genesis 2, pleasant, but it's different in the Hebrew. It's different in the original. The word used in Genesis 3, verse 6, really implies a desire, a longing, a craving to have something for the pleasure that it can give me. The word that is used there comes from the root of coveting. So when Eve saw this fruit, it was pleasant to the eyes. It, was, it means it's pleasant to her eyes. Now, not for the glory that she could give God through it, but now for what she thought she could gain from it. And so it, it has been reversed. Instead of the sight now glorifying God, the Creator, Eve saw the beauty of this tree and fruit, the beauty of creation, as something that she could now profit from. You remember how uh, Satan planted those seeds of doubt in, in Eve about God and His Word? And Eve believed that lie and began to think that God was withholding something from her. When really Eve had no lack. She had all these trees in the garden to eat from, all these trees pleasant to the eyes to look at. But this is a desire in her eyes, the lust of the eyes. And this is now a a sinful and unlawful desire to possess something that she was not supposed to have. Even though there's nothing in Scripture that says this tree looked any different... It was marked out as a tree of knowledge and good and evil, but it doesn't say it looked any different. And yet Eve began to think that there was something that she could gain from it. And so James again, one fourteen, says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so our eyes are the, are the channel to our soul. Our eyes are the, that connection between the lust of our heart and the object's Of our desires, our hearts are drawn through our eyes, you could say. And Eve's eyes had been taken off of God, and now are being drawn to this object, the tree. And so it doesn't really matter what kind of tree it was, or what kind of desires that we have. Everyone has different desires. Some people are okay driving in a rusted-out old car, but their house needs to be nice. Other people don't care if they live in a shack, but their car needs to be the best. We all have different desires. But it represents here anything that you that seeks to fill your desire apart from God. Some scriptural examples. We see... The next time we see this word used is in Genesis 13, verse 10, where Lot and his uncle Abraham were living together on the plains in, in the same area with their herds. But their herds had grown to such a size that there was not enough grass and not enough water. And their shepherds, their, their herdsmen, were fighting with each other trying to get the best water and grass. And so Abraham suggested that they should go their own ways. And so he let Lot choose which way to go. In Genesis 13, verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. So Lot made the decision based on what He saw. The land looked attractive. It was pleasant to his eyes, a desirable place to live. He he saw that he could gain because the land had a lot of water, had a lot of good vegetation. And he made the decision based on the, the desires of his heart and the lust of his eyes. It was a selfish, it was a greedy motivation. Because further we see that Lot pitched his tent near Sodom, the place where verse 13 of Genesis 13 says that they were an exceedingly wicked and sinful people against the Lord. And Lot's decision was made purely by what he saw that he could gain from it. But he closed his eyes to see the dangers, to see the wickedness of the people around him. How often do we also pretend not to see the wickedness But we could, because we're so focused on the opportunity that we see that we can gain for the things that we want. And it co- cost Lot everything that he owned because he had to flee from that city before the Lord destroyed it with nothing but his clothes and his two daughters. Further, in Joshua 7, verse 21, it says, After God destroyed the walls of Jericho, the Lord had commanded the Israelites that all the spoils of that city were to be for the Lord. They were not supposed to keep anything of it for themselves. But then there was Achan. Achan stole some of it and hid it in his tent. And later he confesses why. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, about five pounds of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, he says, I coveted them, and I took them. I saw I coveted, it was pleasing to my eyes, and I desire to have them, and so I took them. And it also cost him his life. And so we need to ask ourselves, how do we sin with the lusts of our eyes? Matthew 5, verse 28 The Lord Jesus probes very deep when he says, But I say unto you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whenever you look at another person who is not your spouse and you see something that is pleasant to your eye, there can be that lie in our mind that makes you think there's something that you could gain, something that you want. It's a look of desire. When you see that nice truck come by, you drive by that nice house or cabin, or the children see a toy or, or a candy, it's pleasant to their eyes, and it draws our heart to want, to want it to satisfy our desire. You see something in the object of creation as the very means to fulfill your desire. There's a desire to please yourself instead of glorify God. And it's all a lie. It's all empty. Because everything in this world, in a sense, looks pleasant to the eye. It promises to fulfill a lust and a desire. But it always leaves you just as empty as before. Every person that you might crave, every person grows old, Every vehicle needs repairs. Every house breaks down. And that's why as soon as children finishing, finish opening up their, their birthday presents, they start looking for the next thing. Lego sets always come with a little catalog. And children spend almost as much time reading that little catalog, looking for the next, next set that they want, almost more than they play with their actual Lego. What can I benefit from it, from getting it? And so it's not so much the object that we see, because that changes through our, with with different people, it changes through our life, but it's the pleasure that we feel when we see it. We seek the pleasure from the object. It produces a longing, it produces a desire that we think cannot be filled any other way than by getting and possessing that object. And we're wise enough to know that the promises are empty. And that looking, again I'll use the example of the Lord Jesus, that looking at other people instead of your spouse is sin. And you know that pursuing that desire will never fill and, and fill that desire that you have. And yet, even though you say you don't want to go any further, yet you do not want to give up that look and that feeling, that desire, that, that craving that is there just by looking at the object. And so it, it, it's replacing God as your source of satisfaction because it is, it is not glorifying God. James calls it enticing to sin, and it's not just the evil things that we look at, it's at the good things, it's the pleasant things which God has created good, but it's because of a sinful desire. It's with an eye to possess something, to gain from it unlawfully. It could be anything from desiring people to clothing, to jewelry, to, to fancy homes, cars, imaginary things. Our, our minds can be filled with air castles, With holidays or vacations or or, or bigger houses that we have, bigger businesses. Because of the enjoyment we get from desiring this. And the step between that desire, between that look of desire and the actual act of sin is so very small. We can so easily step into sin because we've already committed that sin in our hearts and mind. And that is why the Lord Jesus said to look with that lust is already sin. Eve saw and Eve took. Achan saw and Achan took. We see and we take. Now again, I confess these are hard lines to draw because God has also given Lawful ways to acquire things that we need. But, if hearing this makes you want to crawl behind a bush, you're not alone. Because it's exactly what Adam and Eve did. Why? Because we know we are guilty. We have been born now with a default setting to desire the possessions of, of this world as the source of our satisfaction. Our eyes are continually drawn to the beauty of the world for what we can gain by it. The Bible says, "'Eyes that cease not from sinning. Unregenerate people can do nothing but covet this world.'" And if we don't believe that, we don't understand total depravity. We don't understand how far we have fallen from God's grace. And this is the case unless we are given grace by the Spirit of God to glorify Him in all that we see. By His grace, He renews, He restores, He turns But it's also by His grace that we feel guilty, even common grace, that we begin to feel guilty as a consequence of our sin because we do not glorify God as we ought. But God is the one then who came to Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve were hiding behind that bush because they knew they had sinned against God, and God came to them to show them that there's a way to remove that guilt, to take away that guilt. God does not intend for you to walk around every day with guilt on your heart. God did not create us with guilt. it's because of our sin. And God has also made a way for that guilt to be removed. And the only reason I, I press this point that we have guilt and that we cannot glorify God with our eyes as we ought is, is so, because God has also shown the way to remove that guilt And because when we feel guilty, we often also try to fix it ourselves, don't we? Some, some might be tempted to walk around with blinders on or their heads down and not dare to look at anybody, not dare to look at other people, not dare to look at the, at the shops because we might be tempted to covet. But it doesn't work because the problem lies deeper than our eyes. It's in our heart. We can't fix it with illegal action. But when we sin with our eyes, we must recognize our sin, and we must seek for daily forgiveness and cleansing through Jesus Christ, and to seek His Holy Spirit for grace, to be able to look at this world with a pure heart, to be able to look at other people with a pure heart of love, the love of Christ. Love for your neighbor as yourself, which is the opposite of breaking those commandments. It is keeping those commandments. Christ renews us so that we can begin to look with pure eyes. Lord's Day 33 also shows us what a good work is. It is, it is done in true faith. That includes looks. It is done in, in true faith. According to the law of God and to the glory of God. It is according to his law, not breaking his commandments. So then we see how Christ faced this temptation. Matthew 4, verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. So the Lord Jesus also was tempted with all the dazzling beauty and glory and power of this world. Somehow Satan showed him that. And he said, All this I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. He even said in Luke that all this power has been given to Satan and he can distribute it to whom he wants. Satan is trying to make it look like he has the ultimate control. But what is Satan trying to do? He's trying to, he's tempting Christ to to worship the devil instead of God, to become a friend of the world instead of God. And James says that the desire for pleasure is what causes war. He says, do you not know that a friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so why is Satan tempting Christ this way? He's tempting Christ to take a shortcut. A shortcut to what? Well, Psalm 72 says, Christ will have dominion from sea to sea. Psalm 2 says God will give him the nations for his inheritance and the ends of the earth for his possession. Christ had already been promised all the power and glory of the world. But to get there, Christ has to go through the cross. Christ has to suffer, has go through the valley of humiliation, to be crucified, to be abandoned of his Father, and to carry the sins of his people. But Satan says, here's a shortcut. You can have it all now. Just fall down and worship me. Satan tempted Eve to take the eternal inheritance by herself instead of waiting for God. She tried to steal it. It was like a dream. You'd be as wise as God. And in the moment she took it, She woke up. Like a soap bubble, when you grab it, it pops as soon as you touch it. How many times have we reached for something in this world? Try to fill that desire. But as soon as we get it, we realize it's empty. An empty promise. This world cannot fulfill. And you live to regret it. 1 John 2, verse 17 says, All that world is passing away in the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The Lord Jesus said, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. This is about who you worship. You shall have no other gods before me. What you worship is only the disguise. He showed Jesus all the kingdom and the glory of the world. He showed Eve just a fruit. What is he showing you? Could be sports, money, recreation. But who you worship is either God or Satan. Satan. Christ could stand there on that mountain and look at all the beauty and the glory and the power of this world without a sinful desire in his heart, without a covetous look. All that wealth of this world could not satisfy Christ, could not please him because he knew the Scriptures. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Christ could desire and worship nothing but God. And God said we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But the lusts of the eyes look for something in this world to worship. Not in spirit, but what we can see. The object, the created. And Jesus later said as well, you cannot serve God and Mammon. You cannot serve the pleasures of this world and bow down to Its demands and pursue them as our satisfaction, and at the same time serve God. It's either one or the other. Where is our heart? John says the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes is not of the Father, but of the world. So the question is how do we face this temptation? Well, first we have to recognize that as we are born, our hearts are always looking at this world with the lust of the eyes. And by the grace of God, we need to have that guilt washed away through the blood of Christ. And that for His people, for those who believe on Him, and those who still have that indwelling sin that we are so prone to look at this world as our satisfaction. When we fall into sin, which is daily We must not despair of God's mercy, but seek His cleansing daily to recognize that our eyes are evil and to see that it is because of the pure eyes of Christ alone that we also can be accepted in the sight of God, that because He could stand there and look at this world without a covetous look, because of His perfection, His righteousness, That if you are covered in His righteousness, God sees you in Him without sin. As if you never had had any sin nor committed any sin, our catechism says. And that we depend on His Holy Spirit, that by His Spirit and grace He He renews our hearts. That He purifies our eyes to enable us to overcome the daily temptations to sinful desires. That little by little, He purifies us to become holy in our eyes and heart. It's a process. It doesn't happen in a day. But when the Lord saves a person, He begins to refine, to purify, and to to restore that person. But also, as we walk through this world... Christians have to remember that you have an eternal inheritance laid up in heaven. 1 Peter 1 says, you have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, that is reserved in heaven for you. That's a promise. It's not a soap bubble that will pop when you get there. It's not a dream but it also won't be given to you until you pass through this life into the next. And those of you who believe are co-heirs with Christ and you received a down payment even now when you received the Holy Spirit, God's guarantee of that promise, that just as Christ received that promise and He now sits in heaven, Those of you whose faith and hope are in God will also receive it. So then, while you live in this world, surrounded by the dazzling beauty of this world, trying to pull our hearts away from God, see that it's a fading world. It's a dying world. And so we need to fix our eyes not here, but in heaven, on the things above. Colossians 3 says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so by the grace of God, you now begin to see the world with new eyes and new desires. With an eye to glorify God above all and to love your neighbor as yourself. No longer to desire what's best for you, but what's best for them. How God can be glorified. Then, like Christ, you begin to look at this life through the lens of Scripture. Proverbs 6, verse 15. Do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. Romans 6.12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lusts. Psalm 119.37, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Restore my desires, that means to live to the life that God has created me to be. To see creation with an eye now to glorify God and not to satisfy my own desires. This is a request for God's grace to restrain us so that we can look away from whatever does entice us, especially the evil, and whatever would entice us to evil. To revive our hearts, to look in love. To keep the commandments. That is to worship God above all and our neighbor as ourself. To watch and to pray that we enter not into temptation. Because when we look at the beauties of the Lord, of His glory, and the glory that awaits His people, do the things of this world not grow strangely dim? The hymn writer says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And the more our eyes are on God, on Him, the less we will envy the prosperity of the wicked. That will all fade away very soon but the inheritance of those of you who believe in Jesus Christ will never fade away. Amen.